Greetings and welcome to another episode of Fuds and Film. This one is Drew, so that makes that one Scott. Only God can judge me. This is yet to be tested in court, we'll see. <laughs> Illness, ill-preparedness and, well, indolence sees us pushing our main topic episode back to the 10th this month. And instead we're beginning June with a comparing trust episode. As usual, there's no real rhyme or reason as to why we've picked this particular pairing from our topic list, other than that this is the one that happened to seem appealing to us at the time. There's an inherent danger in that though, and we may not have selected these two films had I, at least, realised that between the two, there were at least four actors whose abilities and charms, or lack thereof, we have variously lambasted and lamented in previous episodes. Two of these are actors that Craig is particularly not fond of, and he's not here tonight, and, well, I've no idea how he's dodged this particular bullet. (laughs) Someone else who, miraculously, also dodged not just one but many bullets, is the subject of our pairing, the legendary Wild West lawman Wyatt Earp, who, having made his name in Dodge City in Kansas, entered the realms of legend after his time in Tombstone his participation in the gunfight at O.K. Corral, and his hunting down of members of the Cochise County Cowboys after they murdered one of his brothers. These two films are 1993's Tombstone and 1994's Wyatt Earp. Rather than the usual reasons for two films on the same subject being released so close together, and something we have in fact covered before, one film actually directly led to the other, though they do take somewhat different approaches to their subjects. For example... One chooses to make its central character an irredeemable prick, which is, well, it's a bold choice, to be sure. (laughs) Both, naturally, claim to be based on true stories, so, while they're different, they're both from Hollywood, and additionally, both about someone whose history is massively mythologised anyway, and we can, I think, safely assume both are deep in the realms of bullcrap. (laughs) That leaves us looking at different takes on some key elements of the mythos, some differing styles, and a number of roles played by very different actors, such as Kurt Russell and Kevin Costner's Earp, Sam Elliott and Michael Madsen as his brother Virgil, and, as the infamous Doc Holliday, Val Kilmer in one film, and a coat and hat and fake beard in the other. <laughs> so, I guess we we'll just start with Tombstone. In contrast to Lawrence Kasdan's Wyatt Earp, George P. Cosmatosi's Tombstone dispenses with the need to show the Wyatt Earp origin story. Rather dropping us, after a brief newsreel-like introduction and us of the general lawlessness of the American West in the late 19th century, into that time and place with the Earp legend well and truly established. Well, actually there's one other sequence before Kurt Russell's magnificently moustached lawman appears on screen, in which we are introduced to the villains and shown quite how villainous they are, and given a pretty good idea of what type of a Western we're in for. Chief amongst these villains is a wonderful and sadly woefully underused powers booth as Curly Bill Brocious, seemingly only ever moments away from twiddling his own, less splendiferous moustache, as he mercilessly slaughters a group of Mexican police officers at the wedding of one of their number for having had the temerity to kill two members of his gang. There is nothing here, from the action to the clothing to Booth's performance, that is in any way subtle, and we know how to set our expectations going forward. Going forward then, we meet Wyatt Earp and his brothers Virgil, Sam Elliott and Morgan, Bill Paxton, as they arrive in the booming Arizona town of Tombstone with their wives and a desire to make a fortune. 
Around the same time arrives Wyatt's old friend, the former dentist turned gambler and gunman Doc Holliday, played here by the excellent Val Kilmer. Earp's actions soon get him noticed around town, first by Terry O'Quinn's Mayor John Clum and John Tenney's Sheriff Johnny Behan, but he and his brothers, also retired lawmen, repeatedly rebuffed the attempts of these two characters to enlist them as marshals and or sheriffs. Apparently there's a difference, but I don't know what it is and I don't really understand it. Also noticing Wyatt Earp is Dana Delaney's dancer, Josephine Marcus, whose attentions are not amazingly similarly rebuffed. Though she's not asking the same things, in case that was unclear. <laughs> the lawlessness of Tombstone, though, and particularly the actions of Booth's gang of the Cowboys, nags at the conscience of the brothers Earp. And the first two, then all three, pin a pointy badge to their waistcoats and begin to lay down the law, setting the stage for the gunfight at the OK Corral in this bloody aftermath. I have developed a particular retroactive soft spot for Tombstone over the years, it being one of the earliest films that I can remember seeing at the cinema with Craig. I fear I don't remember if you were also there, Scott. No, I was not. No, I didn't think so. Like, it was a, another year later before uh, we were really friends, I guess. Uh, and it also first introduced me to Sam Elliott's wonderful voice and facial hair. But such affection, of course, leaves one open to disappointment. Happily then, I can say that, while no masterpiece, Tombstone remains a thoroughly enjoyable popcorn flick with an engaging central cast. Kurt Russell has charm and swagger, and even, for better or worse, tries to bring a little of his cut-rate Clint Eastwood back from Escape from New York. While Sam Elliott and Bill Paxton are solid here as people I can readily identify and name, setting them <laughs> apart from every single person in the other film we're talking about today, with the exception of its protagonist. While, as I mentioned earlier, I would like to see more of Powers Booth, showing here some of the just-the-right side of knowing fun villainy we talked about in Sudden Death last year, Stephen Lang's Ike Clanton and Michael Behan's Johnny Ringo are a consistent and present danger as his lieutenants. Ringo in particular is a very distinctive character in Tombstone. The character apparently is in Wyatt Earp, but I only know this because of IMDb. Josephine Marcus and the other women in general are who really suffer in Tombstone in comparison to Wyatt Earp, their presence being largely inconsequential, with Marcus in particular feeling like she is here because she was famously Earp's common-law wife until the end of his life, rather than because she actually has any part to play in the plot. I've seen Tombstone described as a pop-western, which is not inaccurate, and probably explains things like the fact that everybody's clothes are way too nice and often way too colourful to ring true and the rather enthusiastic and pointy score from Bruce Broughton, replete with a ludicrous da-da-da moment when Erp goes to get his gun from its case. On this viewing, the final third dragged somewhat, but as that's the section most similar to the other film, and as I watched both films on the same day, this being second, I'm happy to attribute that to the repetition and proximity. Assuming you're not doing that yourself, which seems a pretty safe assumption, then I'd recommend Tombstone. But would you, Scott? I actually had not seen Tombstone or Wyatt Earp until this, um, because in my earlier days I did not like Westerns one bit, but I've developed something of an appreciation for them of late, so this felt like a decent opportunity to, to visit these. Um, interesting to see the history of Tombstone. Um, just before I bury the lead, I, I quite like Tombstone. It's quite a lot of fun. Yeah, interesting to see, sort of hear the the backstory of it with um you know the first director who's on board and I think the writer as well is it Keith Jar Kevin Jar Kevin Jar I think um, yeah. Murray Jar's adopted son 
yeah, interestingly. And, yeah, and he was... Uh, he wasn't sort of able to take up the pace. He was um, shooting too much for accuracy, which seems very bizarre because this seems to be a film that is shooting for shooting with occasional <laughs> bits of rooting and some tooting. Um, uh, and um, it seems very much like uh, Kurt Russell was doing the, the actual bulk of the, the directorial duties, or at least he claims to be so, although the actual director says otherwise. And I, I kind oh, of... Gilmore backs up Kurt Russell. Um, yeah. yeah. I kind of believe it because Kurt Russell, bless him, does bring a certain kind of B-movie sensibility, which exudes from Tombstone. Um, it is absolute... Well, it sh- works. Yeah, it is absolute schlock. I mean, I will be your Huckleberry Val Kilmer. That is, that is absolutely something I will be. Um, yes, it's, it is kind of potboiler nonsense, but it works really well. Uh, it's an awful lot of fun. Um, the characters feel vibrant and alive, and whether it's realistic or not, I don't actually care. It's a fun film. Um, mm. There's lots of fun little moments in it, lots of nice little character interaction. Um, it's a cast of people who have some character in it, which is a marked difference to the film we'll go on to talk mm-hmm. about. Um, yeah, just, there's a lot of life, a lot of vibrancy, a lot of... Um, pleasant gunplay a lot of nice wordplay it's funny it's um it's entertaining uh, it's not over the top violent but it's violent enough where it needs to be just to kind of uh, punctuate what's going on and um as a kind of representation of the kind of myth of Wyatt Earp this is doing it really really well this is the exact kind of wild west nonsense that you you would expect to see from the kind of um the kind of more pulp fiction aspects of the sort of the myth of White Earp and yes. it embraces that and is a lot of fun. So yes, I, I did heartily enjoy um, my time with Tombstone. Um, I don't know if I'll ever watch it again, um, but I certainly enjoyed this one outing. Um, yeah. In particular, Johnny Ringo. Um, it's, I, I don't know if I've seen uh, Michael Bean doing a kind of bad guy thing before. It doesn't immediately yes. come to mind, but he does it very well. It's quite menacing. It all yes, works very genuinely well. genuinely menacing, I'd have said, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of things that work in here very well. And yeah, I completely agree. Powers Booth is fantastic in this. Um, absolutely brings the right kind of level of, well, setting your expectations and just hamming up to the nth degree. So yeah, yeah. it's all just a tremendous amount of fun. Yeah, he, he's chewing the scenery, but not like completely devouring it. It's just the right side. And really, <laughs> yes. it, it very much did make me think of when Craig and I talked about sudden death last year. It's like he's played it just right. He does it here too. Unfortunately, he's just in so much less of the film. And, yeah, and that's that was my big frustration with this. I had it's a long time since I've seen Tombstone. Watched it a handful of times over the years since I first saw it in the cinema, right? Back in high school, and I had entirely forgot that Michael Bean was in it. Yeah, um, is that you? Is it Bean or Bean? I've always I've always heard it as Bean, but I'm not sure if that's actually just my my brain misleading me. So I've pronounced it more from like how it's spelled, but an American way actually spelled Bean anyway. Yeah, I'd entirely forgotten that he was in it, and he, he's... You can see that Powers Booth Carter would be dangerous, but he's kind of just seems wryly amused with a lot of stuff that's going, that's going on, whereas he's the actual kind of really scary guy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I didn't particularly think that he had that in him. Mm. Uh, and I'm I'm quite pleased to see that. That seems a bit of a revelation. It's been a while since I'd, I'd seen this. But yeah, it, it's absolutely sure, but it, it's so fun. Yeah. Um, uh, and the extra bonus points for all the facial hair being real, at least yes. on, on the main cast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a magnificent moustache that your man Russell has grown there. Yes. Sadly, yes. his facial hair is always great. Um, yes. As is his voice. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, that, that's great. Um, in, in so many ways, this is what Wyatt Earp isn't. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, talking of then, Scott, Tombstone had, of the, the four people in particular that I mentioned in the introduction, this had Bill Paxton, who I'm not hugely down on, but I, I had said in a couple of podcasts over the last couple of years that I really didn't rate them particularly much. He had these moments. Turns out, uh, for the most part, Tombstone's one of them. Um, I think he was definitely worse better supporting actor. Quite like him now, so I got away from this film quite happily. Mm-hmm. However, the next film has three people that, um, between the three of us, we have pilloried quite um, badly over the years. So, yeah, there's not a lot of hope coming into this for me for Wyatt Earp, but um, let, let's see, did you find the, that that proved to be false or true for yeah. yourself? In a lot of ways, it's the least of its problems, actually. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's Wyatt Earp, which was released six months after Tombstone, sees, sees Kevin Costner step into the boots of the titular lawman after jumping ship from the production of Tombstone. Uh, it says here that he was looking for something more invest, uh, interested in the wider context of Earp's life, not just the headline events. So he and the production team moulded what was to be a six-hour miniseries into this three-hour wannabe epic to, well, spoilers, not brilliant results, this proving to be something of a box office bomb. Let's see if it's financial failure is mirrored in its artistic side further spoilers yes so i just can't believe that there was going to be twice as much of this when there isn't enough for this exactly uh, yeah at any rate we're introduced to a young erp played by ian bowen uh stopped from running off to join the war by his father gene hackman who reinforces the importance of family bonds before long a slightly naive erp is off west to make his fortune as a wagon driver before returning home to missouri and settling down with annabeth gishy's urela sadly she's not long for this world typhoid fever claiming her and their unborn child this understandably starts a downward spiral of grief and drunkenness for wyatt soon finding himself an outlaw he heads back out west, and after a stint as a buffalo hunter, he becomes a lawman in Kansas, hooking up with a prostitute, Mayor Winningham's Matty Blaylock, who becomes his common-law wife as he builds a career. After a period of tootling about various western locales, we eventually reach Tombstone, where he relocates with his brothers and their wives, and after failing to set up a business, they return to bringing the law to the lawless, namely the Clanton gang, doing all that okay corral stuff of which you will no doubt have heard. Now, the problems with Wyatt Earp don't end with casting Dennis Quaid as Doc Holliday. In fact, offset problems that's perhaps the least of it and before getting too negative speak for yourself <laughs> it, it should be noted on at least some levels there are things to appreciate here particularly the production design and with the exception of a few absolutely honking day for night shots the cinematography which is quite often beautiful uh, mm, sadly okay. sadly they're saddled to such an overwhelmingly dull film it is simply impossible to care uh, it it seems that for large swathes of the film they've sought to get an epic feel to things by giving it so much space to breathe between moments of drama that they've cut out the actual moments of drama, so it's less of a breath and more of an endless sigh. Um, strangely, given the life the man led, the dullest part of it all is Costner's erp. Now, I wouldn't necessarily have disagreed with Costner's position that there should be a film focused on Erp and his character, but, well, this ain't it, Chief. Uh, watching this uh, without really knowing all that much about Earth, I'd figured that if Tombstone was leaning heavily into the legend of Erp, this must be pushing for a more realistic portrayal of the man and his life. And maybe that is why Costner is playing him with all the verve, charm and joy to reeve of a bag of cement, although it doesn't explain <laughs> why. Faced with choosing between the accepted reality of Earp's life and the actions of legends, Dan Gordon and Lawrence Kasdan just made up a bunch of new stuff, particularly early on. 
normally that invention alone would be enough to have me filing up the virtual canon. If you think a subject is interesting enough to warrant a biopic, you should not be embellishing it to this degree, but I would have offered it a pass based on the man straddling the line between legend and reality. At least I would have done if what you'd made up was actually interesting. It, it seems to, at least to hew closer to reality after the first hour, albeit still leading towards a sympathetic view of someone who was as often on the wrong side of law as he was enforcing it, but again, that somehow translate into him not being flawed and complex, but a complete blank slate. I think they were trying to portray someone left cold and somewhat heartless after the death of his first life, leading us to his questionable treatment of Batty Blaylock before being redeemed by his love for uh, Joanna Goings' uh, Josie Marcus. But these relationships might as well have been Zoom calls for all the warmth and realism they show. Anyway, to cut this short, something the film very much also ought to have done, <laughs> I think a slightly less charitable interpretation of Costner's issues with the direction of Tombstone was that he wanted more screen time. Mission achieved for Costner, but it's very much not to our benefit with this interpretation of the character. Some critics put this on their worst of 1994 lists, which is surely a touch hyperbolic, but that is not a hill I would choose to die on. <coughs> choose to watch Open Range again over this. Much better film in every regard. I'm glad you mentioned Open Range, but I've now seen... Three Kevin Costner uh, westerns I can think of. Dances with Wills, Wyatt Earp, and Open Range. And one of them is head and shoulders above the rest. Yeah, absolutely. One of those is a genuinely warm, touching, um, effective, affecting film. With a really good central performance from Kevin Costner with, with superb support from Robert Duvall. Uh, uh, the rest are garbage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I have... My particular beef with Dancy with Wolves, uh, and um, that, that involves Goodfellas, which is not really the <laughs> film's fault, but, but still, it's not very good. I just don't understand how or why this film is as boring as it is. Yeah, it, it's very puzzling, given the events of White Earp's life, that you could make something this characterless and empty. <laughs> yeah, um, nothing happens. Yeah. There is not three hours of material in this. There's not 90 minutes of material in this film. And... Do I need to see 20 minutes of how Wyatt Earp was somebody who skinned buffaloes for a while? No. Um, <laughs> no. Give them without that, that was adding anything. Not at all. It, it, it seems to be there purely to introduce two characters that you could have introduced by just saying hello. It's, it's not yeah. required at all. Um, apparently, uh, both of those cards are played by two of the people I mentioned earlier. Um, <laughs> one, um, Bill Pullman, who Craig particularly likes, the other, who I actually also thought it was Craig, but I realised now it was you, I believe, um, mentioning, I guess it was in Strange Days, you mentioned that that was brought your total of, um, oh no, perhaps it was Craig. I forget precisely. Um, but we're talking about Strange Days. Sorry, I'm yes, if it's Tom Sizemore, I don't like him at all. Um, but yes, um, both, both him and uh, Paxman, Pax, Paxman, Paxton, I, I'm getting um, yeah, both of those characters have turned out to be so inconsequential. I didn't even yeah. bother to mention them in the recap, so yeah. I'll let that one slide. No. <laughs> yeah, it was Bill Pullman who um, Craig went out his way to avoid the wrong film for. Um, <laughs> and you with Tom Sizemore, I, I thought it was great, but no, when you talk about Strange Days bringing, yeah. your, I think your line was, uh, that brings the total number of tolerable Tom Sizemore performances up to one. Yes. <laughs> um, I would add a second in that he's actually quite entertaining in the third season of Twin Peaks, uh, but I know you've not seen that, so that's not going to help you any. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, but both of those characters, why are they there? What do they add? And when you talk about characters, like, well, there aren't any. As I said in my introduction, for some reason, Wyatt Earp is played here as an irredeemable prick. 
He has no charm. He's horribly misogynist. He's a thug. He's a killer. Um, he's a criminal. The, the, there's no point through any of these two hours where I have anything other than contempt for Wyatt Earp. <laughs> now, it may be that that's closer to reality, but I guess this is not the film that's going to be showing that. But it's a really weird choice. And it's like the... Uh, I mean, Kevin Costner, I guess he's not the greatest actor, but he can be engaging. Yeah. Open range, as we mentioned, The Untouchables... Um, even a couple of things more recently, like his smaller role in Shadow Recruit. I can like Kevin Costner, but in this, he's just, he's hateful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's also the film's only character um, because, well, there's that man whose name I do not want to mention again. And then everybody else, I, I'm not joking. I generally had no idea who anybody was. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I could at least not in terms picked- of the, the cowboy gang. Yeah, yeah, and I, I would have struggled to. I couldn't. I couldn't have picked uh, out of a lineup which one of uh, White Earp's brothers is which. You know, I know some of the actors, of course, but uh, in terms of which one was which, not 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 even yeah. slightly close to it. They, they were all interchangeably people that White Earp talked to occasionally. That's it. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I think maybe partly because of the Tarantino connection, but I know Michael Madsen very well, so I think he was the one person who could like. I'm fairly sure he's Virgil, but he's definitely not as um, intriguing or um, recognisable character as uh, Sam Elliott's version of him. Hmm. But everybody else, uh, I generally, I have no idea who you are. And in in particular, in particular, all of the villains, yeah, they were men with faces. <laughs> there, there was no characterization. There was no way to recognise anybody. So if you don't even know who a single person is, why would you care about anything that happened? Yeah. And the, it's really the whole film is so, so flatly acted. And I think it's got to be Lawrence Kasdan's direction. He's not particularly known for being a director. Yeah. And I think it's the direction because it's so universally flat for everybody in the entire film. Uh, yeah. Even when events ought to have been a bit more spin on things, it, it's all just an absolute wet blanket of a film. Um, yeah. Even when, let's say, I, I, I couldn't bring myself to hate um, Costner's turn, even when he's doing hateful things, because he just doesn't have enough character in it to really <laughs> yeah, get that across. Um, I, I can kind of understand the degree, as I was saying, why you would want to make a film about Erp himself and the other characters would kind of fade off to the background. But it turns out that's just dull. Certainly this interpretation of what they've done with Erp is dull. And that's mm. the crucial thing of it. If you're going to make it about one character, you need to make that character interesting and vibrant in some way. And this one is just so flat all the way throughout. Um, as I, say, I think it is possibly completely intentional that he kind of died inside after his wife um, died and he, that's why he's so kind of flat throughout the film but it's a three hour film and he's this borderline zombie presence for like two thirds a bit more of it before he kind of perks up a little bit at the end when he actually meets someone he, he loves again and um, maybe the, you could if you're charitable think there's a little bit of life coming back to him at that point um, you know, towards the end but for most of it, he's just an absolute non-entity of a character, and he's the only thing on the screen for so much of it that it yeah. makes it an absolute chore to get through. This film did feel like it was six hours long. Um, it's just yeah. it's just an absolute chore. Yeah, it, it took me most of the day to watch it. I kept like, stopping and just, like, to 
to do other <laughs> things for a bit because I need to like build up the stamina again. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but it's not that you, you can't even say that like there's like deliberate um, a deliberate nature of him being flat because everybody's flat. True. That, that, yeah. I think it really marked it off, and I think it must be a directing thing. Uh, possibly the only person in the film. There are a couple of moments that the the various wives get where they get to kind of scream a bit beyond that. <laughs> Every single person in the film is completely flat the entire time, apart from Gene Hackman, and you hmm. basically couldn't pay Gene Hackman to act badly. Yeah, he, he's not capable of it. Hammy certainly he can do, and look at the Superman films, but you can pay him to act badly. So the small bits of Gene Hackman is the one time anybody's actually acting beyond this weird monotone. Yeah. Also, it's it's got the strangest um, score as well. It's a lot of it's kind of like big, kind of epic score that I mean it matches the landscapes, but absolutely not the action of the characters. Hmm. But there are parts, including I think, like kind of I guess it would be the title theme that do not belong in this film at all. That sound like from they're from a space epic. <laughs> to the point where I checked to see whether this film had the same composer as Apollo 13. <laughs> it, it doesn't. But uh, in particular, that, that first thing, it felt like it was from a film like Apollo 13 or something. Um, uh, James Newton Howard did the score for this. But it absolutely did not fit. Hmm. Uh, it's a weirdly disjointed film. And I, mean, I guess there's quite an irony too in that this film came about because... Kevin Costner disagreed with the the direction of the original. The original, I was assuming he was going to be in the Kurt Russell role. If that story is true, yeah. Um, and he was apparently trying to torpedo Tombstone. Um, yes, at least Wikipedia tells me so. Yes, <laughs> yes. That's, I didn't go any further than Wikipedia today, yeah. unfortunately. But uh, uh, because it's weird to think that Kevin Costner really did have clout in the mid nineties, and I don't understand where that came from. But I do know where it went. It, it, it went the way of Waterworld and The Postman. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's trying to torpedo the other film. It's like, where's the other film? You know, pretty good success. It's nonsense, but it's it's a really entertaining film. Whereas White Earp is so, so dull and so leaden. And I don't know how they screwed up so bad because the idea of this mythic um, dime novel selling Western lawman, like that should be exciting and like... They managed to take that character and make him miserable and make the whole film miserable. Yeah. I guess that's an achievement of sorts, but it's not one you particularly <laughs> want to put on your CV. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's a misguided attempt to bring some kind of realism to a character that is so you know entrenched in the legends that this was kind of a, re- a reinterpretation of it, but it just doesn't make for a good film. So, um, yeah. yeah and what was just, the point? It squanders so much of its cast as well. This, um, I mean, I know it seems like I'm, I'm completely bagging on it. But actually, well, well, that's because I am because I'm, there was, I mean, it, worst of 1984, almost certainly not. Um, I'd agree with you there, Scott, but there's nothing for in this for um, to be recommended by me um, at all. If, if I was alive, uh, <laughs> if I was uh, reviewing films back in 1984 at the screen, and we'd had a kind of year-end lists, this would be on one of my most disappointing lists for sure. <laughs> because the amount of talent that's involved in it behind and in front of the camera, and given the material you could have had to work with, to come up with this is an yeah. absolute disappointment. Um, it is by no means, I, I can't have... 
I'm not, I don't know the encyclopedic technology of what came out in 1994, but I'm almost certain there was much worse than this. But yeah, this would certainly be a huge disappointment um, given the records of everyone going into this and and in most cases and in most cases coming out of it everyone involved has done much better um before and after this yeah. um even even quaid so uh, this is Steady an on. absolute disappointment <laughs> on on all those levels yeah yeah I mean, like as i said gene hackman comes out of this with the best words because well anything just washes off of him because he's he's way better than this film deserves yeah um he could have done this in his sleep and possibly did for all i know Um, (laughs) everybody else seems to be asleep he's just the one that didn't show it but then you've got while she's not even half the actress her mother was but isabella rossellini is a kind of striking and interesting presence um yeah she she tends to stand out things like well i know she was in it i know i saw her i don't remember any of her scenes at all, I only saw it like two days ago. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mention it, but when I was doing the, my notes for this, I, I watched this yesterday as I recorded it, and I already couldn't remember most of the events and what order they happened in uh, the day after it. So, yeah, it, it just does not stick in the memory at all. There's nothing to grab onto in this film whatsoever. Yeah, weirdly, there is one thing I say I'll give it the edge over Tombstone is that, while well, it's a fairly small role, I found Mark Harmon a bit more engaging as Johnny Behan than John Tenney, although he, he didn't have the same natty clothes. Yes. <laughs> but, but that may just have been luck. Yeah. Because everything else is so bad. <laughs> it's, it's such a strange film that it should all be so flat and so uninteresting. Why Air was such a romantic character. The myth of the Old West, he's considered this, I mean, a very controversial figure, of course, but considered this legendary lawman and all the stories written about him he was um around in the early years of hollywood people kind of mm-hmm. made films about him and i guess tapped him for experiences and stuff lots of early uh hollywood stars where his funeral in 1929 like and this is the film you make about him yeah <laughs> uh, miserable get who's not a good person like and he's um, miserable get for the whole film well oh, well done and everybody else mm-hmm. is a miserable get too great and we get to see several hours of the odd jobs he did for a while yeah <laughs> yeah um, look, I, I could absolutely believe that was his proper character and that is an entirely accurate yeah. representation of it but I don't want to see it in a film if that is the case so <laughs> exactly. uh, in all regards fail <laughs> yeah, I, I, like I said earlier I, I could believe this is more accurate but it's not interesting no not in the slightest if it was accurate there must be a way to make it interesting surely um, yes um, apply the same the same standards of truthiness you apply to everything else and when you're making a film about someone's life just make it up just <laughs> no one would care it's, you've got an excuse here more than you do for anyone else because the man in the legend is so intertwined but yeah no this is this is just boring and no one wants to watch a boring film yes uh, so yeah I think, I think we're, we're agreed there Scott then give a massive body swerve to Wyatt Earp but uh, you could definitely do worse than check out Tombstone because Tombstone's fun true Absolutely. So that will wrap us up for today, I guess. Um, if you have been affected by this issue or anything else, then please do give us a hit up on the old Facebooks at facebook.com slash Film on Twitter at Film or through the old emails at podcast at fudsonfilm.com. Um I guess we'll say goodbye then. Bye. Fairly well. Really well.